0: In the spring of 1929, a young physicist named Ernest Lawrence was leafing through physics periodicals in the UC Berkeley Library when a drawing stopped him in his tracks. The diagram was buried in an obscure German technical journal alongside an article by a Norwegian physicist named Rolf Wiedere. What Lawrence saw set his mind aflame. He sprinted from the library to the faculty club, cornered the first scientist he encountered, and blurted out, I'm going to break up atoms. You're listening to One Bold Idea, and this is a story of how the atomic age got its start at UC Berkeley.
1: The basic question that every kid asks, what are we made
0: of? That's the question underlying all of physics. Herbert Steiner taught physics at UC Berkeley for 50 years.
1: How does it all hang together? What's inside of what's inside of what's inside of the smallest thing? Atoms was just the
0: beginning.
2: Everyone had a pretty good idea of what the atom was like.
0: Bob Kahn is a professor emeritus of physics at UC Berkeley.
2: We knew there would be electrons going around a nucleus, which was very much smaller than the atom itself.
0: But how much smaller? Imagine an atom is the size of a racetrack. Its nucleus would be like a peanut at the center of the track. The big mystery of the time was the structure of that tiny nucleus. Physicists around the world were racking their brains for a way to get a glimpse of the atomic core. The best idea they could come up with was to break it apart.
1: It's like you have a big rock and you want to find out what's inside. So you get a hammer and you smash it.
0: In this case, the rock was really, really small and the only hammer physicists had at their disposal were tiny charged particles emitted by naturally occurring radioactive material.
2: The projectiles for these collisions were typically alpha particles that were the result of, of radioactive decays.
0: They'd put the radioactive material, such as radium, near the atoms they wanted to smash and hope that one of the ejected particles found its mark. Lawrence later described the challenge as trying to hit a fly in a cathedral. The big problem was that even in the rare event of an impact, the flying particles still weren't strong enough to break up anything but the lightest nucleus.
1: You have to smash it pretty hard. That's why we needed more and more energy.
0: The challenge for physicists was clear. To shatter the atomic nucleus, they needed a means to accelerate particles to truly blistering speeds. No one knew how. Physicists around the world began trying to build particle accelerators, Some of these early devices were multiple stories tall. Others resembled the lightning bolt-filled spheres of mad scientist movies. They gobbled millions of volts of electricity, but they still didn't get the job done. The diagram Ernest Lawrence found in the library was of a common particle accelerator design that worked like a gun barrel, charging particles at one end with electricity and firing them out the other. But this one had an upgrade. Rather than a single jolt of electricity, particles would receive several jolts as they traveled along the tube. Lawrence had an idea.
1: A round machine, so the particles went through the accelerating stage many, many, many times, each time getting a little kick.
0: It was an idea that would change the course of Lawrence's life in the history of the 20th century. But a forward idea on paper is one thing. Bringing the idea to reality needed a feat of engineering.
2: He, together with Stanley Livingston, built the first accelerator.
0: That's Bob Kahn again. Livingston was a grad student who grew up working on tractors and had uncommon skills with machines. He fashioned the nucleus-smashing device out of brass a small, flat, hollow disk about the size of your hand. Lawrence called it the proton merry-go-round.
1: The basic idea is you have a magnet. And inside the magnet, you put a source of atoms, hydrogen atoms, at the middle.
0: Then, by chemical reaction...
1: Strip off the electrons so you have so-called ions or protons.
0: Those are your projectiles.
1: And then the magnetic field... Holds these, keeps them from going
0: out. As the particles begin to circulate, they pass by two electrodes, each one giving the particles a tiny electrical kick.
1: They will slowly gain energy every time they go down.
0: And as they gain energy, they gain speed.
2: Faster and faster and faster.
0: And eventually, the spinning particle smacks into a copper strip which lets the scientists measure its final charge, just how much power it was packing. In December of 1930, Limingston measured particles that had been accelerated to 80,000 volts. The proton merry-go-round worked. A few months later, they broke the million-volt threshold. With the eyes of the physics world turning toward Berkeley, Lawrence decided to give his device a more futuristic-sounding name, the cyclotron. But now Lawrence faced another problem. The theory was that to be effective atom smashers, particles would need to be charged up to 10 million volts. Lawrence needed a bigger, more powerful machine and the space to work.
1: And he built a relatively small lab. At the time, it wasn't so small.
0: He called it the Radiation Laboratory. His grad students called it the Rad Lab. In it, Lawrence built a bigger cyclotron, 11 inches in diameter, with a two-ton electromagnet. He gathered a team of talented grad students from a variety of disciplines to work in shifts, keeping the cyclotron running day and night.
2: I had to do much of the dirty work that was to be done around the place.
0: That's Philip Abelson. Back in the early 30s, he was one of Lawrence's grad students.
2: At that time, the cyclotron was put together with beeswax and rosin and... Whenever the magnetic field changed, uh, that would move parts of the equipment around and spring a leak. And whenever there was a leak, I was expecting to be on hand to help fix it.
0: The cyclotron required an enormous amount of electricity. And when Lawrence's grad students would flip the on switch, the result was often sparks, fires, and even power outages that enveloped other campus buildings and occasionally the entire city of Berkeley. Lawrence slept with his radio tuned to the frequency of the cyclotron's poorly shielded oscillator. If the machine went offline, he could hear it. And he'd call the lab and demand to know why. Throughout the 30s, Lawrence and the Rad Lab team built bigger and bigger cyclotrons, allowing particles to reach higher and higher energies. And with higher energies, the scientists discovered they could use the cyclotron to achieve something truly incredible the creation of new elements.
1: Uh, to, To make something new, you have to basically change an existing object. And we did that by taking a known element, bombarding it with these energetic protons.
0: These discoveries filled gaps in the periodic table. Lawrence encouraged those who worked for him to build cyclotrons at other labs and other universities.
2: A lot of people came through Berkeley and went out to other parts of the country and out into the world and had enormous impact.
0: Those early days of discovery have had a long, extraordinary, and complex legacy. The cyclotron was the heart of an operation that produced 12 Nobel laureates and 14 new elements. Lab scientists pioneered the use of radioisotopes in medicine and carbon dating. They also helped to develop the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki that ended World War II. Today, the original Rad Lab building is gone, but the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory is still humming. It houses what you might call the great-great-grandchild of Lawrence's proton merry-go-round. This chirping is what's keeping the liquid helium cold. Liquid helium that's used to produce ions for a massive 88-inch cyclotron.
1: My name is Larry Fair. I'm a nuclear physicist within the Nuclear Science Division at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab.
0: The technology has come a long way since their first hand-sized accelerator stuck together with beeswax.
1: This particular accelerator can get to around 10 percent Uh, of the speed of light.
0: The cyclotron is housed in what looks like an airline hangar encased in massive cement blocks.
1: Each of these weighs 50 to 60,000 pounds.
0: This cyclotron was used to discover elements and continues to be used for a variety of scientific applications, including testing the effects of radiation on space shuttle equipment. Lawrence's big idea that you could accelerate particles in a circle is still the fundamental principle behind amazing machines like this one. The Large Hadron Collider, a massive accelerator in France and Switzerland that sends particles on a 17-mile underground loop, is a direct descendant of the tiny 4-inch proton merry-go-round that Lawrence created some 90 years ago. In 2012, scientists announced that they'd used the Large Hadron Collider to confirm the existence of the Higgs boson, a previously theoretical particle that answers fundamental questions about the nature of the universe that have dogged particle physicists for decades. Lawrence and the other rad lab scientists changed so much. The periodic table, the way we wage war, the tools we use to understand our universe, our planet, and life itself. But Steiner and Kahn said the quest goes on.
1: We're not out of things to do. We don't understand everything, and there are lots of questions that are very basic, that we haven't got a clue as to what's going on.
2: We have an excellent understanding of about 5% of the universe.
1: We need basic knowledge to understand nature. Now the processes that we can study in the lab also occur out in the cosmos. So by studying things here, we get a better idea of what's happening out there. And that's what science is all about.
0: Thanks for listening to One Bold Idea. I'm Shuka Kalantari. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can check out our interactive timeline for other stories over the past 150 years at 150. University of California. Edu. The music you heard in this episode was from Blue Dot Sessions in Poddington Bear. The story was reported by Kobe McDonald and produced and edited by Graylin Brashear and Bed Manila at the UC Berkeley Advanced Media Institute in collaboration with the University of California.